Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to state tournament roundtable number four. I'm losing track. It's been a long week, but really excited to have three guys that have been on the podcast before, Jerome Skirdla from Gretna High School, Nate Wall from David City Aquinas, and Jimmy Motes from Norris High School. Uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on here tonight and, and uh, just hanging out with us, talking some ball. So um, it's pretty crazy in here. We got some crazy background noise. We are once again at the end zone, 728 Q Street here in downtown Lincoln, Nebraska. The best wings in the city of Nebraska, or the city of Lincoln, according to the proprietor. But Todd, of course, you're going to say good things about your own place. Uh, but we really appreciate their hospitality. It is crazy. It is crazy crowded in here. Uh, we told everybody that Jerome Skirdla from Gretna was going to be in here, and the whole town of Gretna, I think, showed up to watch Coach Skirdla perform on the podcast here today. But actually, they're pre-gaming a little bit. Their boys are in the state semifinal against uh, Miller, Miller North. North Miller yes. North here. And so it is really loud right now, I anticipate, in the next half hour or so. It's going to start thinning out some. Uh, but uh, we're going to do uh, the best that we can to, to give folks a, uh, a good show here tonight. So this is our last podcast of the week, and just excited to have everybody here. So thanks for coming on, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marty. Yeah, thanks yep, for having yep. me. Thanks for having me. Um, Jerome, let's start with you. Retirement, you know, sailing off into the sunset. Darcy finally said, I'm ready to have you around full-time. <laughs> well, I don't know if she said that, Marty, but uh, <laughs> it, it was, uh, I think, time. I, uh, I think the program's in a good place. We've got a real nice uh, freshman sophomore class that I think will carry on. Uh, my assistant coach, Michaela Casson, is going to take over as the head coach, and uh, they had a real successful 15-2 and two JV season. So I think that leads toward the fact that they can be very successful moving forward, and that was one of the goals I had to start of the year. Um, had a good group of seniors that I kind of wanted to go through with in there and, and uh, some great kids in that class. And uh, just time-wise, it was one of those things where um, I felt it was a good time to be done. I've been at it for 41 years coaching basketball, 45 years total, which is a lot of times I'd run into a coach. They weren't even born when I started, and that's probably a hint that you've been doing it long <laughs> enough. Uh, been great experience, gone really fast, but I've been very blessed to uh, around it and probably the best thing I look back is relationships with younger players we had a uh, gathering after when we played um, Westside and had over 35 players return from all the years through there and that was really special and then just relationship with coaches that's been one of the things that I've really enjoyed you know such good friends and you compete against them but afterwards you, you know uh, good friends that and so I've been like I said, very happy and and I think for family everything it's time to you know, go a different direction. Um, and you had this this big challenge at the end of your career these last three or four years. You had been in Class B for the first 20-ish years that you were at Gretna. And then, you know, they miscounted a few kids and they put you in Class <laughs> A here. You know, what was that like the last few years? Uh, kind of, you know, making that big leap. It, it's not like you jumped you know, 10 kids or 20 kids. I mean, you're talking about playing against schools that have 2,000 kids in the entire school here when you're used to playing against much smaller 
schools in that competition level. You know, what was that like for you the last few years? Well, there's several challenges in Class A uh, on there. The physicality is probably the biggest one because it, it just becomes a game where um, the athletes you're going against are so good and uh, one through five and or deeper than that. And so to match up to that, it changes how you approach the game in there and uh, sometimes how you defend the game because, again, athletically they are, uh, I would say, you know, when we're class B, we could match up athletically with both teams. Now to say, to go on that, we don't match up athletically with probably, you know, at least half the teams we play, if not more. So you've got to really work at other adjustments on there. And, and I think we've competed very well. We just haven't been able to get over the hump to win close games or to beat the big you know, four or five teams in there. And that was something I hope we'd, I'd hoped we'd get to. But it's a, it's a growing process. I think, you know, way back when I first came to Gretna, we were Class C going to Class B. And it was three or four years to make that adjustment to where you're able to play at that level. And I think that's kind of where we're at now. Is it's taken a little while, and you can be close, but you still got to take that next step. Yep, yep. Well, I'm lucky to call you a friend. I hope you consider me a friend because I consider you a friend. Exactly. We we butted heads for a long, long time, and and uh, it, it's just been a privilege and an honor to to call you a friend and a colleague, and 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 have the competitions that we've had over the years. So, happy retirement, Darcy. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, no, I, I, I kid, you know, enjoy it. You've earned it. Oh, You've earned the you. time I mean, off. So. We're excited about it. Like I said, moving forward, I know Darcy's a little apprehensive what I'll do during the winter time. We know spring, summer, fall, I can keep busy. But I, I look at what winter will be like next year. It'll be different. Well, come on over to practice. <laughs> it's a short. You've made that drive to Fort Cal Calhoun before. before. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. So, well, let's jump into um, let's jump into some stuff here. I sent you guys a list. Uh, you know, Wall texted me yesterday, what are we talking about tomorrow? I'm like, well, I don't even know what we were talking about yesterday, let alone tomorrow. Uh, I like so, to be prepared. I get you. It's all right. Um, so I sent you guys a list. Um, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you guys want to talk about first? Um, got four or five topics. We, we got uh, we got Old Man River going this here. This is we, your show, so uh, throw them out there. I mean, it's... Yeah, darn it. That you're not the first one to say that this way. It's too much pressure. Well, let's just go in the order here. Well, uh, I, I want to talk about some things that we haven't talked about yet this week. And we've talked a lot about summer and off-season stuff. But I wanted to kind of drill down on a few things as I was watching games today. And so uh, let's talk about teaching screening. Let's talk about because, you know, good screens, good screeners are harder and harder to find. Uh, as the ball handling becomes more prevalent, the four out, the five out stuff becomes much more prevalent. How and what do you guys do to teach good screening with your players? Jimmy, let's start with you here. Well, I think one thing we do is we, we break down a lot of things in practice uh, in terms of just if we're going to run a certain action, like we'll break it down. I think the one thing that when you, when you talk screening is a lot of times you try to tell kids, if you set a good screen, more so than not, the screener's the guy that's always open. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much the action coming off a ball screen or a down screen. If, if you set a solid screen, good things are going to happen. And typically, and this goes back to when I was playing in college, if you set a good screen line and pick a pop action, the screener's going to be the guy open. 
mm-hmm. right? Because everybody's looking at the ball. Okay. So I think if you try to tell kids that, like, here's the purpose why we're doing it, then typically, hey, the translation is, hey, if I set a good screen, chances are I'm going to be open. Mm-hmm. So I think if you if you let them know that, like, we break it down to where you put that thought in their mind, chances are, and I think when team screen, you watch, like, Auburn and some of those teams, and they run their offense, they set a lot of good elbow screens. Those guys are always open. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that gets lost to shuffle. We teach things. We don't necessarily we talk about screens. But anymore, I mean, the games became more physical. Uh, I think even the last since I've been doing this. Uh, but we also can teach actually where you, we, we talk about rub screens or even just, we call I call it an Arius. It goes back to my Creighton days where you set a butt screen essentially. Yeah, yeah. Where if it's a legal play, they're going to let you get away with it. Then why not play it to your advantage? Yeah. So, I mean, there, I don't think there's necessarily a, a right or a wrong way to teach it, but I think it's also too when when you when you try to teach kids at a screen. I mean, you're going to find out real quick which kids want to make those plays, and, yeah. Because I mean, it's a physicality play. Yeah. Nate, well, we have a couple of good drills that we run in practice. I'll run it um, early in this early in the preseason, and maybe one of those weeks where we may not play till Friday. Bust it out Monday, Tuesday, or. You know, maybe we're being a little soft during games, but um, it's called the screening game. A real original name. Very, very creative. Right. But, you know, everyone's seen that offense where it's you have three out, two in, ball at the top, you screen down, ball in the wing, you screen across. Well, what we do is, uh, and we're also working on defending screens, but we'll, we'll guard that offense and we'll run that offense. A so ball at the top, we'll screen down, ball in the wing, screen across. But the offense is trying to score. So if the offense scores in the block area, they're getting three points. If the offense scores between the block and the elbow, you're getting two points, and then one point between the elbow and the three-pointer. And we'll, you know, and then they can't switch, can't can't switch on that at all because we're really emphasizing just just screening. Or there might be another day I'll be like, okay, now there's no shooting. Now it's points for every single pass you complete. So if yeah. you complete 10 passes in a row, well, that offense is just going to keep on running until there's either a turnover um, and and then there's, of course, consequences if you lose. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, gets, it gets very, very intense. And uh, and, I, and I, it'll be it's a turnover if I see a kid not screen. So if you just go and interchange with somebody or if you just kind of lean on someone and not make contact, be like, nope. Switch offense, defense. Let's go. Yeah. And so, of course, there's consequences with it. And that's the best thing we do to teach teach screening and really just slow things down and um, yeah. make sure it's done the right way. Coach Skirtla? Well, we did a couple things. One, uh, you know, before this year, we were primarily a flex team. And so we did a lot of work on down screen, uh, popping up, getting that there. Uh, not so much on the baseline screen, but just getting so you could reverse the ball four or five times before you went in and then it lay live and so it just be two players at the elbow two players low post with uh four you know four defenders going there and just down screen consistently and the biggest key we worked on there was reading the screen because if they're going under the screen what you want to do if they're trying to go over the screen what you're going to do and teaching players what how to react to a screen or how to read it so we could flare we could curl do the back cuts those things this year, we were more of a Princeton or four-out type set, 
and so our screening became more rub screens than that. And uh, we actually worked at lot just three on three because three on three you can really gain an advantage when you screen because if they double or if they get caught, you're open. And so from the offensive perspective, it really gives the offense an advantage to set on ball screens or even screens away. But again, our biggest thing is there is understanding reading the screen. Uh, so once you set it, try to get the kids to curl more because they all want to run to the ball when you set a screen. Yeah. And we're trying to get away from that perspective of, I, you know, the screen is more to get me moving away and, and force the defense into a disadvantage. So. Well, and unless they run to the ball off a good screen, it goes back to Jimmy's point, then that screener is going to be more open yes. instead of running straight to the ball there too. Right, so, right. Yeah. So. Uh, we really, we when we, t- when we teach screening, we tell our kids and say, hey, three things. Get low, get wide, and depending on your gender, protect yourself. You know, get low, get wide, protect. And then they just, I'm sure my kids would be like, yeah, coach, we got it. You know, get low, get wide, protect, you know. Uh, but that's one of the things that we really, really preach to our kids. And, and we just really emphasize it. And I know, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. When we see a great screen in practice, we try not to slow down too many things too much. We want reps over talking. But when we see a great screen, man, do we point that out in a hurry, especially if it's a screen away from the ball. You know, where, you know, three of us are teaching or are coaching girls, you're coaching guys. But especially, you know, when we say, you know, a lot of times the girls will screen, go screen. Well, what do they do? They go screen the ball. Go screen somebody away from that doggone thing and, and loosen them up in that way. And so we, we, we've really emphasized that over the years is, is we really slow it down. We have a drill, we, and we haven't done it for a while. We call it three-on-three three, half of the court. And basically, the, the defense has to make five passes before the – or the offense has to make five passes before the defense gets a tip or forces a turnover. And it's and but you only get to use half of the court, and so um, there's no switching, kind of like yours there. And it just turns it, you know. And if you win the possession, you get to stay on offense. You got to get a tip to go on offense, and, and you're, you're working that. The only thing that's not good about it is you're not really emphasizing looking to score right away. You're talking more about the screen, but it's a great it's a great screening drill and and getting through screens type of drill because you got to get that tip before five passes happen too as well right, and so. i'll say what my no what my no switching rule is sometimes i'll tell the defense to do whatever you want because then if the defense starts switching well that's a whole new kind of a screen right there yeah so i might say all right defense you can do whatever you want in fact i don't care what you do yeah um but that that as well gets them to screen a little bit better and uh and we, and we talk about a lot at every screen, there has to be two cutters. There's an inside cut and an outside cut. Yeah. Um, and I, and that's another thing that really helps our kids as well. Yeah. Anything else, guys? That's good. I that's wish good. I could have seen the St. Cecilia Crofton game today because that is two teams that are the best screening teams I've coached against. Yeah. Yeah. Who ended up winning? I didn't even see it. I do not know. I don't know. I didn't ever see Carter, that. Carter Plum on stats. And food review. Yesterday he gave a food review. Today he's on stats here. He's checking scores. So he's going to take care of that for us. Um, I think one of the things that you see down here, and obviously if you're here, you got players. You don't get down here without having players. But I also think it's important 
to um, give your players confidence. And, you know, everybody understands what the stakes are, but having your players play with confidence and being able to play and not worrying about making mistakes, you know, not whether it's a missed shot or a, a, a turnover or something like that, um, you know, what do you, what do you guys do to try and get your kids to play with confidence, but yet hold them responsible for their actions? Because it's that fine line, and we've all been there where, okay, hey, we want you to play free and loose, but we can get too free and too loose at times as well. So, Coach, why don't you get us going on that one? Okay, well, I think the big key that we use is like you kind of have to do 10 positives for every negative because they remember the negatives and they don't always remember the positives. So if you have a player that misses a bunny and you're chirping them for missing the bunny, the chances are they're going to miss the next one too. And, and uh, we'll do breakdown drills, try to help with every aspect of it boxing out or if it's you know making a lap or making a shot or doing any type of aspect we want but I try to really take a positive approach and especially in games you know you take a shot unless it's like it's there about the only time I do it is if it's a bad shot then I'll bring up because that's something that you know as a team you want to avoid but if it's a good shot misses and you know that regardless of ideally you'd want your best players taking the majority of shots but I try to leave freedom there but that's kind of the biggest key I look at is trying to be very positive uh, there with reinforcement on that way. And then periodically uh, pull them in and say, okay, got to rein you in a little bit. This is a mistake we make. We've got to do better on that because, again, I think kids realize when they've made a negative or, or bad play there, and, and uh, that play stays with them longer. So uh, as positive person can be, I think it's best approach. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Coach? Well, I always tell our guys, basketball is a game where you're going to make mistakes. But it's you can't let one mistake snowball into another mistake where all of a sudden you you, you make a bad pass, you have a turnover. Don't let that blossom into you go down and foul someone whatnot. So you try to make sure, like, your kids are loose. You know, I mean, that's, sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, especially you get to this time of year when you – some teams get down here, they play tight. Some teams come down here and play loose and make a run. I mean, I, I think the big thing is having brought teams down here in the past, every year was different. Yeah. Uh, the, the first team I brought down here, they just went and played. And our biggest obstacle is we had to find, find a way to beat Sacred Heart a fourth time uh, in the first round of the state tournament in 09. But then the next year, the pressure was we just had won the tournament. Now it's the pressure of, well, you got to repeat. Well, and it didn't work out. Then the next year, probably my most talented team down there didn't win it. So, I mean, you, you've got to play. The, to me, it's just a lot of it's your personnel, the kids you're dealing with, but also put them in a position to say, just go out and play. And sometimes that's hard to do. And I'll give you an example. This year, our best prep was a game we hardly prepped for, and we probably played our best. We lost to Wahoo at the end of the regular season. And it was a quick turnaround. We just said, hey, we're going to worry about us focus on what we need to do and not so much about what they're going to do yeah and our kids responded to it so yeah i've always said though when you're dealing with 15 to 18 year old kids you never know what you're going to get some nights yeah and, and i think that's a lot of it too because uh, i mean we can only do so much when you put those kids between the lines sometimes you don't know what's going to happen but yeah you also also want to make sure that hey you make a mistake you, the game doesn't stop 
you got to continue to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the message I send the kids. You can't quit playing. Yeah. You don't let mistakes lead to more mistakes because yeah. that's where those 7-0, 9-0 runs, boom, and all of a sudden you're up two, now you're down seven. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, every time that comes up, one of the, the college coaches I first worked for, Coach Naki, yeah, one mistake, two mistake, guys. One mistake. Don't let one mistake become two mistakes, you know. And he threw in a couple of naughty words usually in between one and two, you know. But, uh, you know, that, that was his that was his thing as well, you know. So, Nate? Yeah, I, I've never heard that ratio of 10 to 1 before. As an elementary teacher, I've always heard the ratio of 4 to 1. But yeah, 10 right. to 1, that's going to be really hard to do. But I guess to build confidence in my players, you know, we – you know, we talk about confidence comes from preparation. And if you feel like you're prepared for that test in school, you're going to be more confident going in. And if we prepare well, we're going to be confident going in. And I encourage them, like in practice, you know, make mistakes. Get out of your comfort zone. Take risks. Dribble the ball off your foot. You know, when we do ball handling drills, if you're – if it's too easy, then you got to try to go harder and challenge yourself just a little bit more because – um, the game is gonna. The game is gonna reflect. Um, it's gonna reflect the work that you put in, and um, so, so that's one thing we talk about. And then I think another thing often gets overlooked that coaches may do, and I tell my players this as well. You know, I'm only gonna get upset if it's a lack of effort. You know, a mental mistake I can live with. A physical mistake, we're okay. But if it's just like not intentionally not getting back on defense or not being a good teammate, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty upset with you. Yeah. And I, I, I do see you know quite a few coaches as soon as a player makes you know takes maybe a silly shot or you know a really bad looking turnover, they yank them out of the game so quick as soon yeah. as they can. And nothing crushes a kid's confidence quicker than that. And I, I communicate to my players, when you make a really, really stupid mistake, I'm going to leave you in that game until you do something positive so that when I take you out of the game, I can say, hey, great rebound that last time. Or that was an outstanding pass you made. And they, they, they kind of look me in the ear like, you know what, you're right. You don't take me out after silly mistakes. You wait until I do something positive. Yeah. And so that, that, nothing kills a kid's confidence quicker than yanking them out after they make a huge mistake. That's that's something I know that I was guilty of when I was younger. You know, you made a, a bonehead play and, you know, come over here. Um Going five for five when you're upset with the five players on the floor and putting five new ones in, that works like once a year. Yeah. And I know yeah. if I watch enough film, I'll see maybe a coach do it three or four times a game. Yeah. But that works. That's effective once a year. And the second time you have to go to that, you're getting the opposite of the response yeah. that you want. I uh, What I try to do now, so let's say Jimmy's playing, Jimmy does something dumb. I know I'm going to take Jimmy out of the game, and there's a dead ball. I wait, and then once the play starts going again, then I'm going to grab Carter, and I'm going to put him in for Jimmy. Yes. So that, it, you know, in Jimmy's mind, okay, I, you know, I kind of got a, not, not got away with it, but coach isn't that mad at me, and then there's then there's flow and things like that. And, and now that seems to kind of help with them being able to go back. And that's something that I've – tried to do it again I'm, I'm sure i'm not perfect at it and if my players were here they'd probably say something they, you know oh i remember that one time coach 
but that's something I've tried to do but is sometimes not have that quick like, hook. Sometimes it appears like, like it's a coincidence. You may have already had a kid at the table for them, and they made a silly mistake. And just communicating with that kid that you're not coming out because of that mistake, you know, you know, yeah. time time to flip. I had someone at the table before that mistake even happened. That communication can go a long, long ways. Not that you would ever make a silly mistake, Jimmy. You would never oh. make a silly mistake. Oh, never, right? No, no. <laughs> we'll get Coach Altman on here and see if you made any silly mistakes. He's playing right now, but, <laughs> you know, it, he was one guy, though, just don't let something small blow up into something major, you yeah. know, in terms of making mistakes. And I think that's why I've learned, even as a coach, just you got to let kids play through some of those things because kid makes a bad pass, you pull him. Well, he's thinking his head mentally – if I make a bad pass, I turn over, I'm coming out of the game. Uh-huh. I mean, you can't let kids play like that. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for letting kids play through mistakes, that builds a little confidence. And I, I'm a firm believer that it's a game where you're going to fail. Yeah. Okay? I mean, you're going to. It's like baseball. Going yep. three at ten is great. Basketball is a game you're going to make mistakes, but don't let those things translate into other mistakes because also I make a bad pass, but I don't get back defensively, I give up a layup. Yeah. That's another mistake. You got The game doesn't stop. You got to continue to play. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things, and it's it's really easy at this time of the year. You're having a great run. You know, our school just went through it with our boys and lost a heartbreaker this morning. And uh, but you know, building that momentum in your community, you know, and and. Uh, you've done it at a couple of places. You did it at Fort Calhoun, and then you went over and you kind of built it from scratch at Gretna. You know, you've done it at a couple places, you know. And you know what are what are things that that you can do to pique that interest, other than winning. You know, winning's the great equalizer that gets everybody excited. Um, but you know, what are what are some things that you can do within your community? that can help build that momentum to bring it up to that point that you guys have done to try to help make basketball a big deal in your community, or you've seen other people do in their communities to, to kind of help build that up. Nate, why don't you get us going on that one? Well, I know one of my most favorite things I did right when I got hired at Aquinas is we loaded up the bus that that right after Memorial Day, that first week you could work with them, and we loaded up the bus, and we played basketball in every town in Butler County uh, on the outdoor courts. There's a lot of little towns in Butler County. Exactly, and they all have quite a few little courts as well, and also being a Catholic school, service, like that's what we do. We really teach our kids about how to serve others, and we also did some sort of service work at all the churches that feed into our school as well. Um, and That's I, a lot of little churches that feed into your community. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it might, it was something, you know, let's go to the church in Bellwood for 10 minutes and we we, we just clean. And uh, the priest would be very thankful that or let's go to the church in Brainerd and we just rake leaves for them. And then we would just go do maybe one trail in, in Ulysses and go do... Um, one drill in um, Bruno was another thing that we did. Just play knockout. Dri- play dribble tag, whatever that may be. And I know that created quite a bit of, I mean, it was an exhausting day, but it created quite a bit of uh, energy within our community. And it, through, it was not my intent, but it ended up in the paper and also in the Knights of Columbus newspaper as well. And I think that's one thing that did it. But I also think 
it's the youth as well. That's where the energy and that's the that's the blood of your program is with that youth and doing whatever you can to get those kids into the gym to work with you, but also to get to your varsity games. Yeah. Yep. Drum? Well, there are a couple things we did. Um, I really went to work on a youth program, uh, trying to develop you know young players, both male and female, but, but folks on the female in there, uh, to really try to help them develop their skills, but also get involved with our high school players, so you develop a relationship between your high school players and the elementary, and so that was probably the biggest thing I did at, at uh, Fort Calhoun and then really at Gretna, where we really tried to develop a lot there. As far as the uh, high school kids, uh, we would tube the Nibrera every year, and it kind of came, we went up to Norfolk a couple years for camp, and uh, it was kind of getting your tails beat and I needed to do something and so we tied in the trip to Nibrera and it kind of became something even the towns along the way kind of knew when the Gretna girls were coming through and that and uh, but it got spread in the community and young kids knew that when they were coming as freshmen they had that date marked off when they're going to do it and I think that you know spreads because parents people hear about it and, and so those are a couple things that we did to try to do it um, beyond that we did some service projects where we'd go, you know, caroling at Christmas. We'd go, I always had a deal that I did. And I called it a good deed day. And uh, on your, whenever we had an away trip, and this year we probably weren't as good about it, but a lot of years, if we had an away trip, that day you, I pronounced it a day or two ahead of time, you had to do a good deed. And the good deed, I'd say, might be for an elderly person. And so they would have to pick out an elderly person. Then on the bus ride there, they would tell the rest of the team what they did. Or it might be from, you know, a community service person. Or it might be from a teacher there. And so we constantly were kind of just, you know, trying to do something that would reach out a little bit. And like I said, then that's kind of where the caroling came from because they all wanted to do a good deed together. So they went to a nursing home and all did caroling, which worked for all of them. So it's just something that did a little bit outside. And like I said, they had talked about it on the way on the bus trip there, and it was kind of a fun deal because some people say, well, I baked cookies for my grandmother. And, okay, well, that was good. And then you find out, well, wait, you didn't bake them. So, you know, they give each other crap about it. But it was it was just a good deal to do, which I think kind of, again, got the kids out in the community, which is what we want to do. Yep. Jimmy? The best advice I got when I first got into this was from Bruce Rasmussen at Creighton. And he told me, remember, you're a small form of entertainment on Fridays and Saturdays. In other words, how are you going to get people in the stands? And I think that for us, it's making yourself accessible mm-hmm. and, and showing yourself in the, in the public limelight, going to different events. But only that, like, even like uh, we touched on it here with the youth program, that's been big for us. But allowing those coaches to come in and watch practice or come to games or those kids. We have a youth night every year that we do. Where you wear your jersey and you come to the game, you get it for free, yeah. you feed a pizza, whatever. But everywhere I've been, I mean, I, that's been a focal point, is how do we get the community behind our program? Mm-hmm. And in Sterling, we, I mean, we did a great job of selling it. Even in Central City, it was more so getting it started. Like, how do we get people to games? Columbus, it was getting the youth program, getting tournaments in town, those types of things, to where we're creating a buzz. Mm-hmm. And even at Norris, we got 260-plus kids playing in our youth program, which is fantastic. Yeah. But when you see kids wearing shirts 
around yeah. the community. Yeah. Yeah. That, that says a lot. So, yeah. I mean, that, it's a good problem to have, uh, to have that. But the other thing, too, is, is make sure you, you keep that momentum going. Yeah. You know, and trying to, even last year, build off of last year. We had a good thing going. And because there's a lot, I mean, you look at our programs across the board, we've been pretty solid. It's been a lot of fun. Even our girls today, just the support we had at the semifinal game. Yeah. So we're all in it together, but it's, I always tell our guys, remember, you're representing the name on the front. Just remember that when you go out here and, and you represent who we are. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, like the last, this week, you know, we had a lot of our kids, and, and one of the things that we've conscientiously done is not only invest time into our youth program, but we have spent money on our kids to get them cool Absolutely. stuff, you know. And and I and, and I think you know. And again, my the the situation the the girls had struggled for three or four years before I had took, taken over. You know, we just just hadn't won a lot of games. And so we needed to find uh, we needed to find ways for them to make them feel good about themselves, other than the scoreboard, you know. So we're going to get you really, really nice shooting shirts for our high school kids. We're going to get you for our youth teams. We're going to get really, really nice uniforms so you look good. Like you've got that. It's just like with us. You get a nice shirt and tie. That feels a little bit better than the than the stuff you used to wear 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that type of thing. And I, you know, bags, socks, things like that, so that there's just that sense of pride that 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 we, we look good. And, and when kids feel good about themselves in that way, just psychologically, it, it picks them up a notch. Now, they still got to go out and dribble and pass and shoot, and I get that, but if that's something... You know, if, if my sixth graders are playing Norris's sixth graders or David City's sixth graders, I can't control what they're going to do to us. But going into that, I can do as much as we can to make our kids feel good about themselves. And, I, and I, I've always, you know, believed that was really important for, for our programs in that way. Um, I, I think the youth part, obviously, that type of thing. I think it's important, like, in a, in a small community, and, and all four of us, Either are in well, you know, all four of our communities are fairly small. There, we're not talking to OPS or a, that type of thing. You know, talk to your business leaders in town. Talk to them about you know, hey, is there anything that you'd be interested in in helping us out with our team? You know, with our coaches clinic, we have the place where we have the post game get together. You know, and because of that, when we were raising money for our yearly fundraiser, they gave us a nice check because. We brought in people earlier and, and got to meet the owner of the place and that type of thing. So I think if you have the opportunity, just go in and say, hey, I'm I'm Coach Plum. I'm the girls' basketball coach here in town. Thanks for supporting our community. You know, if there's anything that you ever want or need from me, let me know or whatever it may be. And I think people appreciate just that old-fashioned handshake and, and, and uh, look at somebody in the eye so that, that you have that connection to them. And, and they come in and they support your they support your squad as well, you know. So that's some of the things that we've done as well, you know. And good. And, and our and TJ, our boys coach, does a really really good job with with that type of stuff as well. So um, anything else on that, guys? I, that's some really good ideas. I like that driving around and you know. That's a great do, idea. Yeah, that's 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 good. Um, 
Let's talk about timeouts. Let's talk about timeouts. I always think it's interesting. I was watching a game, one possession game, end of the game, and coach had two timeouts, and things, you know, he did, did call any timeouts, and they ended up missing a tough shot, you know, and they lose by one, and they end up, you know, going home with two timeouts in the in the pocket. What's what's kind of your guys's timeout philosophy for the whole game? You know, how many timeouts do you want to go into the second half with or the fourth quarter with? When do you want to use timeouts? When do you not want to use timeouts? Just all that type of stuff. Jimmy, let's start with you. Well, I think it's just how the feel of the game's going. I think for, is a big part of it. You know, if, if things aren't going well early, boom, burn one. Just kind of reset, get them composed a little bit, and then roll from there. Um, I, I always say, I always tell officials, I say, hey, I can't take these home, so if i got to use them, I'm going to use them. I think when you get in late-game situations, especially with, with how the high school game is played, that clock runs. And we always talk about we got to be able to kill the clock in case we're down six points, four points, just to kind of reset, get organized, if we talk situations. And I think that's something you address in practice, too. I mean, we'll do situation stuff in practice. And I'll give you an example. Like, we get in the district game, we tell a kid out of a huddle, hey, we got two timeouts. If you need to burn one, burn one, trying to throw it in. Well, the kid panicked and throws one away, and we, and we come back and say, hey, what'd you have? You got a timeout, right? Yep. So, I mean, those are things I think when you we, – we did more situation stuff the last half of the year this year than I've probably done in 15 years because we were in a lot of close games, whether it was a three-point, five-point, and a lot of our kids hadn't been in those situations. So we spent more time in practice addressing those things. But I like to have them in my pocket in case we need them late. But if we got to use one early, we're going to use them. Yep. Nate? Right. Um, I, I'm usually a coach. I'll – I'll use one right away because I'll go into, you know, I'll, and I'll communicate to my kids pregame, like, all right, so, like, we all have a plan A. We all have a, and you talk about, I think, one of your roundtables, we all have a plan A going into a game, and sometimes that plan A is not working. you got to go to plan B. Well, that's what I like. Maybe use that early timeout and, you know, two, three minutes into the game and say, okay, now here's an adjustment we got to make right now. Um, and so I do know I want to go into the fourth quarter with at least two timeouts is what I want to have. Um, what what we can't have is if I got to call a timeout early to address effort, to yeah. address sprinting back on defense, those are the ones that those are the ones that will come back and get you. Um, so that's kind of our philosophy is I want to make sure I have two um, heading into the into that fourth quarter. The one kind of the ones that drive me crazy is I might maybe in the first half my girls might get caught in a trap somewhere at a corner and maybe to prevent a turnover I might call one of those early. But after that we got to kind of problem solve how to get us out of that. I know I have the crowd yelling at me. Call timeout. Call I'm like. I've already spent two. I can't. I yeah. can't burn another one yeah. because I definitely want two heading into this fourth quarter when it's close. Yep. Yep. Drum. All I know is when you have to use all four of them about the first four minutes of the game, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I had one game this year. We used three in the first quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's 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 tough. Go. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We all have. Yeah. So much of it depends on the players you have. I've had teams where. 
I knew the players were basketball smart enough. They were going to adjust. They might start out with some nerves. They might start out with, you know, things just not going right, missing shots, and they'll come together. I've also had teams where you knew if they're coming up against the press that they're they, all of a sudden they turn the ball over once, they turn over again. You've got to get a timeout and get them settled down. And uh, you can either sub to do that or you can use the timeout. And, again, just depends on the players you have because, like I said, sometimes you got – you're lucky enough you got that point guard that just runs the team out there and you can just have confidence that they're going to take care of on the court yeah but then sometimes you don't have that and so you've got players that are in our case like this year a lot of soccer players a lot of softball players and a few basketball players well you've got to do a lot more coaching in there controlling the tempo of the game especially if a team gets on a run or something like that really try to control it so yeah that's kind of always been i I like to have them at the end of the game. That's usually a great sign that you've played well, but I've been in a lot of situations where that doesn't happen. Yeah. I've had, I've had to change mine a little bit based on circumstance. Again, we're just we're not quite there yet talent-wise. So I know the, the, these, these first two years, I've had to be a lot more willing to burn them in the first half or earlier in games than what I would like. I always tell my kids, I don't mind burning... My goal, you said two going into the fourth quarter. I want to go into the fourth with four. That's my thing. Because I feel like if we've prepared, if we've done our scout, if we know what Norris or Aquinas or Gretna is going to throw at us, we should be able to, hey, scouting report. We we know Gretna's, where's the jump coming from? 32, okay, all right, then do it. You know, and you do that on a dead ball or a sub or whatever. Uh, But I... You know, I prefer going in. My goal is always to try and go into that fourth, especially like when our teams were good against each other. I wanted to go in with four timeouts, and I never want to be the first one to burn the timeout in a game. You know, just for me, just the psychological of, okay, we're going to force them to burn the first timeout. We're going we're gonna to come out ready to go, and we're going to be locked in on our scout and our effort and our intensity. And now, again, I've had to change that these first couple of years because we're just not as every game's different because they might come out score the first seven boom yeah and just say okay let's just hit the reset button here yeah and and then go play but i think every game is different yeah there's nights where we might come out 15 to 2 we're up and they hey things are going good let's just roll Mm -hmm. and and let them go yeah it just to me it's just Every night's different yep. right, in terms of how you're going to do things. Yeah. Right. Well, in, in that same instance, you might be up 15-2, and maybe you want to call a timeout and be like, all right, like, we got them we got him up against the ropes. Now let's go for the let's go for the throat right now. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, let's finish them or now. You might go three possessions where you take three bad threes and go, okay, no more threes. Like, attack yeah. the basket. Yeah. Yeah. Again, when you're dealing with 15 to 8 drills, I've always said this, you never know sometimes. Absolutely. Because I saw in the first two nights of this tournament where Prep had a five-point lead, kid takes a three in the corner with under a minute to go, and you're going, why? Uh, Harms from Waverly takes a three up two, and you're going, did he know the score? Did he know the situation? I mean, sometimes yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, exactly. Especially, especially when, like, you're in an arena, and you're and these kids are obviously aren't playing in arenas. They're not used to being able to check where the clocks are, where the score is, and that type of thing. So it is yeah, it is a different environment. Fight down here. It's, yep. it's a lot. I different. think one thing that's overrated is that loose ball on the court. A girl oh. a player dives on it, and they're calling that timeout to save possession, and it's the first quarter or it's the second quarter, 
And yeah. I mean, that timeout is worth more than their possession. Offensively inept. Yeah. That's a pretty important possession. Yeah. yeah. We were that team at fourth, yeah. fourth quarter, absolutely. Let's fourth do that. Fourth quarter, yeah, yeah. But also, we, we, we talk a lot about the possession arrow in the fourth quarter. Like, you know, it's our ball. Jump ball. We don't need to waste that time out there. Uh, one thing I've noticed by watching games, and I haven't watched the game yet because I've been teaching America's youth, but um, end-of-game situations down here at the state tournament. Obviously, like, coaches have been working on that, but I also think there's things that coaches haven't taught them that really good players have just been kind of just like going with the flow yeah. towards the end of games. Like I I'll think to myself, hey, there's no way they practice that situation right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, well, like we were watching the Elkhorn North today, and I don't know if you guys know or not, they have this girl named Prince. She's pretty good. I've heard of her. Yeah, yeah I've, she, I've watched her play the last two years already. Yeah, she's yeah, she, yeah, she's above average, you know. And, and uh, she just felt like today she was just like okay i'm gonna distribute today i'm gonna make the extra pass you know right now we're kind of cruising i'm gonna kind of let you guys roll here but then there was a couple of times where you could feel norris kind of making a little bit of a of a of a run you know and she's like okay time for me to score boom 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 score you know and and, i mean she's a top 29 by the way she ended up with 29 yes oh geez got the foul line 20 times didn't feel like it didn't feel like it but like you said, that's that's the type of thing where you don't have to call a timeout. She's so and again, she's the exception to the rule. She's well, a top. That's a comfort. She, when you got yeah. someone that can manage the game. Yeah, you know, we're we're talking McDonald's All American here, probably. Absolutely. And and you, she's just got that feel. So you don't need to call timeout when you've got that type of kid out on the floor. So um, it's interesting. You know, it's it's a great debate and and. You, you, you do the best that you can. You use them, and, and sometimes we make mistakes, and sometimes we don't. But I always think that's kind of a fascinating subplot within the game. What do you do? What's your strategy? You know, some guys that I knew that I would coach against, I knew that if we made just a little 4-0 quick run early in the game, they were going to burn a quick timeout. And I'm like, go ahead, burn that. That's exactly what we want, and and I'll give up that possession to, to have you – burn that time out, you know, and, that, and that's something that, that well, we, we talk about in practice, we work on the situation, um, what do we do when we have no timeouts, you know, and so, like, if we're losing and we score and we can't stop the clock, what are we doing in that situation? Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about, okay, I'll call a timeout anyway without timeouts, get my technical foul and maybe rely on a five-second call, or... You know, we score and we still need the ball back, but we can't stop the clock. Grabbing that ball on the net, trying to get a delay of delay of game call. So just something to stop that clock. So that's situations we also work on in practice, you know, so that they're not caught off guard if I were to intentionally get a technical foul and call a timeout when I know I don't have any. Yep. You know, yep. what, what can we do right now when we're out of timeouts? Yep, yep. absolutely. Gentlemen, great discussion today. Coach Skirtle has got to get over and – you know, even though he's retired, retiring, they still got him on the job. They're gonna, they're gonna get every ounce of effort that they can well, out I of think him. Take like 40 years in the same, same place. No, I've been. I started at Kearney Catholic for 10 years, then Fort Calhoun for seven, then, then Gretna for 27. I mean, you don't see longevity like that in this day and age. Yep. I think that's a, that's pretty cool to see. We need more yep. of it. Um, yep. You know, I was, I'm a guy that's jumped around from kind of place to place to place, but I think we found a home. Yeah. And 
I hope they continue to let me do what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but guys like that spend a lot of time in one place. I think that's a pretty neat thing. Like Jerry Eikhoff at Hampton, I go back to him. Yep. And Doug Golds at Sacred Heart. I got to know those guys when I first got into it because yep. we were in Class D, too. I don't think you see a lot of that anymore. Yep. Well, big reason why Jerome got to stay there so long is he kept beating me. <laughs> and like, as, as long as you beat that that guy, uh, we'll keep re-signing you every year. I you don't could. think that was accurate. I think we pretty much split over the years. I think it was. I, I think he, he might have me by one or two games, but it was pretty close to 50-50, I'd say. So, I, had good uh, community, I had good support, administrative, community, I mean, all the way through it. Yeah. Well, all seriousness, though, congratulations, Coach. Well, thank you. And, um, thank you. You know, I, I, I hope to be in it as long as you are as well. Yeah. And well, Your just, hair will get gray, I can tell you that. How much more <laughs> How much more can my hair color change? Yeah. I think I'm good. <laughs> well, 600, uh, 600 wins, one of, I think, five coaches in state history to, yeah, of girls basketball to have 600 wins. So, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll wrap it up where we started. Congrats, Jerome. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy your time. You've, you've, you've earned it. You're more than welcome to come up anytime. Come up, watch, watch us. I value your opinion. I know if you came up and watched us, and and if you had something to say, I'd be willing to listen and do everything that I could to put it in there. So, uh, just thanks so much for all you've done for the game, guys. Thanks for coming over here tonight. We want to thank the End Zone for for having us here um, the last couple of nights. Uh, tonight is a heck of a lot louder than it was last night, but. If it's going to be this loud, hopefully the Dragons uh, can move on and get another victory and get to that title game here uh, with a good young core of really good young players. So uh, for Jerome Skirdla, for Nate Wall, for Jimmy Motes, for Carter Plum, our statistician and food critic at the end zone, uh, this is Marty Plum from A Pen and a Napkin. Don't forget to come to our coaches' clinic Saturday, April the 9th. Jimmy's going to be leading a session there as well. So it's, it's going to be a great day. You're going to become a better coach if you come to our clinic that day. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.